unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And coming up on today's show, I welcome a colleague of mine from A7BN Sports, and he's also part of the Captain and Company Morning Show on OldSchool101.com. He is Brian Paul, BP. He is standing by in the virtual green room. We'll talk some sports with BP in just a couple of moments. And, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about March Madness. Uh, This year, I decided to forego the daily bracket specials or semi, I guess it was daily, during game action of the tournament. I would do the short 10-minute snack size versions of the podcast to break down March Madness, but I decided because most of the time I want the uh, programming to be somewhat evergreen, that it's not restricted to a time limit, and when you do four different podcasts over the course of four days, the shelf life of those, because they are tied to that day's action, is much shorter, so I decided to just limit it to the weekly edition of the show, because we can still cover the ground of what we have seen in March Madness and what we might think is still to come, and uh, I break out my bracket here, and as uh, you heard me when I had Mike O'Donnell on a couple of weeks ago, I print out the bracket, I actually print out Steve Zabin's Gargantu bracket, which is uh 11 by 17 version that has all sorts of information on it, and I fill it in by hand all the way through to the championship. Now, I know I can look it up online anytime I want, but this is something I've been doing forever, since we used to clip these things out of the newspaper, put them on cardboard, and follow it that way. I still like having it on my table next to my recliner just to be able to pick it up and uh, take a quick glance if there's something I need to see. So on today, it's uh, March 29th, a Monday, and we're going to be playing the Elite Eight. It's <laughs> the schedule still a little bit odd because they're doing... Saturday through Tuesday for the Sweet 16 and Elite 8. But we've got basketball, so I'm not complaining. Makes it a little harder to watch both games uh, on a Monday and Tuesday night. I may have to forego the second games because I'm an early bird, so I need to get my rest. But enough of my problems. (laughs) Oh, but what have we seen so far? Well, as expected, Gonzaga and Baylor were the best two teams throughout the course of the college basketball season. That is still bearing very true as uh, they have both hit the uh, Sweet 16 and into the Elite 8, at at least to this point so far. And it's, it's, you know, the Cinderella upsets, you know, I think we got a few more of those blessings this year. And Oral Roberts, boy, hey, Boy, I thought that shot by Acemas was going in uh, to send them to the to to the Elite Eight. They would have been the first 15 seed ever to pull that off. Um, but yeah, what a great run they had, and they provided a lot of magic uh, to this tournament. Oil of Chicago got stopped by Oregon State, so you know, look at the uh, look at that. A 12 seed continuing to march into the tournament. And they play Houston uh, this evening uh, as I record and release the podcast. And, uh, boy, Houston showing such great fortitude and coming from behind to beat Rutgers. And then just manhandling Syracuse. Uh, Dejan Giroux, uh, 
you know, willed them to victory over Rutgers and then just totally took Buddy Bayhive out of the equation. And Syracuse had nothing uh, for them uh, in that. So that would be an interesting matchup. You'll know the result by the time the podcast is listened to by most of you. But, uh, you know, I have Houston as the final four pick and hoping they can make their way through. And, man, uh, what a wild game between UCLA and Alabama yesterday. And, boy, that just I just had it my feeling my bones the way that was going back and forth. They'd have little spurts, and then they started trading baskets. And, oh, yeah, this has overtime written all over it. And uh, we got that in UCLA. Man, the Pac-12 <laughs> and the city of Los Angeles in particular, you know, getting both USC and UCLA into the uh, Elite Eight. And the Pac-12 has been dominant. The Big Ten, all they have left is Michigan. And they'll face one of those Pac-12 teams when they take on the Bruins. Uh, but again, I think this tournament has been off the hook. You know, are we feeling that way because of not having the tournament last year that, you know, we're just so happy to have it back that the moment seems more special. There may be a little something to that, but I think, again, we've talked about it ad nauseum. The ability to have teams in this tournament and teams from any league legitimately have a chance to go all the way. Odds are much greater against those in the small conferences, for sure. But the chance is certainly there. I have Gonzaga as my national championship pick. They've been looking really good so far. We'll see if uh, if uh, USC can provide the test for them. That will be a, a intriguing matchup, to say the least. Andy Enfield, who led Florida Gulf Coast as a 15 seed into the Sweet 16 and made his splash... And I, God, I forgot he's been at, at, at Southern Cal for eight years. That is remarkable. And this week we get Major League Baseball opening day on Thursday, April 1st. It's not an April Fool's joke. All 30 teams will be in action. All 15 venues that uh, will be in play will have fans in attendance, albeit in limited numbers, but at least unlike... The speed round season of 2020 will have some fans in there to start off, and hopefully we'll be able to continue to get those numbers grown. But uh, Major League Baseball into more of a full-type season now as uh, they get going in 2021. All right, it is my pleasure to welcome to the show one of my colleagues from A7BN Sports. He's part of the Captain and Company Morning Show on OldSchool101.com, as well as uh, Rock 98.9. We have Brian Paul BP. What is up? From the shores of the St. John's, we greet thee from the home studios of Rock 98.9 here in Jacksonville. Jeff, it's my pleasure to be with you today, man. Yeah, it's always great to, great to talk to you. Of course, you know, last time we spoke, it was uh, the Super Bowl pregame show that we did on A7BN. And um, boy, that game did not turn out like any of us thought it would be, did it? Uh, don't get me started. <laughs> it's just, the, the Chiefs fan in me is so sad. 
Uh, it's just, it, you know, well, it, it, a lot of it turned out the way that Florida State's run in the Sweet 16 did last night. So, I, again, uh, shock, disappointment. Where was this all of a sudden after you've been playing so well and, uh, and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, then again, Tom Brady uh, shining in the way that he usually does and, uh, uh, you know, doing what the GOAT does. Can't argue with greatness on that one, although we wish it had gone to, say, the Jets, maybe. <laughs> somewhere somewhere else. Yes, no question. You know, and, and you know, of course, the Chiefs did, again, have another remarkable season. You've got the, the next GOAT in Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you know, and, that, and what I marveled at, at, at him in that game was, you know, the fact with no blocking, he still had such a great effort, and his incompletions were almost as exciting as catches. <laughs> Yes. Well, I mean, when you're Patrick Mahomes, you know, improvisation was in his M.O. at Texas Tech. And when that's what made him such a dynamic quarterback and such the, you know, the, the next man up um, in Kansas City. I mean, we can't argue with his ability to extend plays. And, you know, even when the blocking is good, there's a chance that, a, you know, a, a straight D lineman or a linebacker has flushed him out of the pocket. He does make those plays with his feet. The trouble that he ran into during the Super Bowl is that he normally gets a good two or three seconds longer to make those decisions. Now, for those of us mortals down here, that's not very much time to make a decision. But for a quarterback – that's an eternity. And that extra two or three seconds to, you know, look down your second, third, fourth choice, and then Tyreek Hill in the back of the end zone on a finger flick, you know, those are the things that he does. And, and he just did not have that time with a hampered offensive line. And, and of course, a, a pretty solid Tampa Bay pass rush that had planned for that. So, you know, um, Great game scheming by Tampa Bay across the, across the board there. I mean, that's ancient history, you know, at this point. We're talking about 17-game seasons now and how players are in an uproar over why they're going to play an extra game and then go to the playoffs. I mean, it very likely could add, you know, for the fans, you know, a, an extra week of football out of the, you know, 20 or so that we get. But, you know, um, I, me personally, I, I think it's too much. Um, I think the 17-game season is a bit hectic. It's, uh, uh, you know, with the return of baseball, we're, we're going to have a more or less a full season. And I kind of like baseball at 70 games. Um, you know, Cubs fan. So, I, you know, I, I don't like to labor through 160 games of nonsense. You know, the Cubs have kind of reverted back to being the Cubs. Um, so 2016 was bittersweet. So let's just shorten my misery a little bit. <laughs> um, but, you know, the 17-game season, it's not something that um, I, as a fan, am, am personally happy about. Um, I was glad to not have a preseason this year. I think it put the players to the test. Um, I think it was something that, you know, the college kids do it. They don't have much of a, a preseason. Heck, last year they didn't have a spring uh, some of these kids are basking in the light of spring football right now. I know uh, Mike Novell is in Tallahassee. That's something that he valued, um, you know, in his transition to Florida State, and he didn't get it last year. And you had a terrible team as a result. So, you know, the, the, the pros are pros. They get paid all this money, all these offseason workouts and OTAs and things like that. Uh, you know, I think the preseason could be shortened to two weeks or just eliminated um, and then leave it at 16 games. I, I think you had the sweet spot with the COVID season. And, um, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But yeah. although, you know, who, who am I? Although it's all about money, right? And, you know, they're 
creating extra inventory for all these new TV deals they're doing that they're expanding. Uh, so, you know, you got to follow the money trail, if you will. But I agree with you as well. You know, 16 is the right number. And, you know, because you get that occasional sub 500 entered into the playoffs, I think a 17 game season opens up that possibility to happen even more. Yeah, well, especially with an expanded field of playoffs now. Um, this year was the first full season that we had that extra playoff you know, team where we didn't have the first and second seed getting those very crucial first-round buys. Um, you know, that makes a difference when you go into a divisional round versus a wild-card round. Um, you know, now you had an expanded wild-card weekend. What do they call it? Super wild-card weekend? Yes. Um, you know, so it – you know, it, it was fun to watch, but, you know, I, I'm not against expanding the playoffs much further than what it is right now. I think we have a sweet spot with the playoffs, but you're right. The regular season expanding to a 17th game, you know, does open up the opportunity for that NFC North team who shows up at like, you know, well, I guess it could be like eight and nine or maybe a, a seven and 10 team or something like that could potentially end up being a division champion as terrible as that division was last year. I mean, kudos to Washington for fighting through adversity and lack of mascot and names and quarterback issues. And then this one dude named Taylor Heineke, you know, just playing the absolute daylights out of that game and even in a loss but the guy's going to get a big big contract out of it and he's going to be he's going to be fighting for a quarterback spot you know I think he should start and that's me talking but you know you have that terrible division who just you know most average fans will consider that more of a laughing stock than anything else because um I'm sure you know a big arena fan um you know huge Predators fan, you know, had the pleasure of calling the games in 2015. And it's, it's different when you're on the mic doing it, but you know, better still looking at the arena football leagues, plural, because there've been so many of them and you watch how small they are and they were playing these 16, 17, 18 game seasons. And then you get this sub 500 team who shows up in a playoff and it's like, they win the first round and then they go to the second round. You're like, this team's going to win the league with a losing record. What a crappy league this is, you know? <laughs> so a lot of that, you know, blowback would get to the NFL. It's like, well, here we go. Now we're supposed to be the premier football league in North America at the very least. And now we're letting sub 500 teams possibly run the table and win a Super Bowl. What kind of, what, what is that saying about greatness um, at this point? But, yeah. you know, yeah, sometimes this is more of an anomaly now. And again, the NFC East, and you know, and speaking as a Cowboys fan, it's like I didn't feel like that division deserved a playoff spot. And no. Even with the Cowboys being alive in the last weekend, it's like, well, this is going to be an early exit. So it's like painful in, in that respect as well. So, uh, but I think that expanded week is going to make that opportunity happen a little, a little bit more often. So uh, that said, you know, you mentioned. Um, uh, Baseball season about to start. We got opening day on Thursday. All 30 teams will be in action. 15 venues will have at least some sort of uh, fan attendance, uh, obviously limited numbers. But uh, you mentioned you liked the speed round of baseball last season. Uh, you know, I found it very fascinating, and I thought the rules changes were, you know, I had that traditionalist thing going in, but I found myself liking some of those things more than I thought I would. I did too. Um, extra innings was odd. 
as a former baseball player myself, extra innings starting with a little different, you know, it's, uh, but I think one of the things that drives people away from baseball as America's pastime and why we as a, a, a nation have gravitated more to football over the last 25 years or more is the pace of the game. And one thing that you can't, I don't know. It's one of those things that if you're an avid, diehard baseball fan, you live for that pace. The chess game that happens on the mound and, and the throws to first or, you know, third or, you know, the, the, the pace of the game to you is perfect. It's, it's like basically taking fights out of hockey. You know, it just, it just doesn't add up. But as people's attention spans have gotten so much smaller over the years, I mean, we are very much in an attention economy with, with anything that we do. I mean, even, even this, the, the podcasting is, is an attention economy based thing. If you don't grab somebody quick and suck them in, um, you're going to lose them. And baseball, unfortunately, is not a sport where you can grab somebody, suck them in and keep them. It's sort of a gradual, you know, okay, we're in the first inning, we're feeling things out and things don't start getting interesting until about the seventh eighth inning but at that point you could be three or four hours into a game and into a case of beer at that point so you know (laughs) then you're not going to remember anything and and having been to Wrigley a couple of times and and you know the baseball fan that I am I would sit there and and watch every single pitch every single play but I'm looking all around to the friendly confines and there ain't one dang person paying attention to what's really going on. And they're there all day. It's like, did you guys pay $25 just to sit and drink? I could have done that at home or gone to a Jaguars football game. Either way, <laughs> you know. So I think the speed of the game needs to increase. I've kind of – at one point or another, I think somebody floated around the, pit, the pitcher's equivalent of a shot clock. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm all about that. You know, let's, let's have these guys stop, you know, playing with the rosin bags and scraping the rubber and looking over here and looking over to first and, ch- you know, uh, let's get something moving, you know, because baseball is exciting when there's offense, you know, when, there, when there's hitting going on. And, and I think if you're looking for something that's a little faster and a little bit more exciting, I would suggest college baseball. You know, it's still nine innings. It's still a couple hours worth your time, but the pace of the game is a little faster. It's a little exciting, you know, more offense involved, I guess, because there's less, less of a chess match and, you know, and they don't have that silly extra innings rule either. So, (laughs) you know, but yeah, for me, it's pacing uh, 100%. And if they can find a way to speed it up in a way that stays to the purity of the game and doesn't take so much away from it, but gets it moving. Um, I think it would help. And maybe they should take a page out of soccer leagues and consider in-game advertisements to get the commercials out of the way in between innings or when there's a pitching change, because that can add it too. the media timeouts actually add a lot more to the length of a game than anything else. So it's something major league baseball is going to have to consider, um, you know, as they come, sort of, I, I guess we can almost say post COVID. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say it yet, but um, you know, it, as we emerge, um, that's something that they're going to have to consider. Yeah. You know, I find it interesting, you know, because a couple of the things that, that they did, you know, they did the three minimum uh, batter for a pitcher. Uh, yeah. So, you know, and, and again, I hate the managers that, you know, change pitchers every batter, but I also think you should not handcuff a guy from doing that if that's what he really wants to do. And then the people who are calling for making the shift illegal, it's like, you know, come on. 
if you know guys like you know Rod Carew and Tony Quinn and George Brett, they would have laughed at the shift and then hit it where the where they weren't. <laughs> right. Well, that's that's what any solid hitter is going to do. I mean, the 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 shift is designed, you know, mostly to play to a hitter's strength, but a, a savvy hitter, you know, a you know somebody who knows how to place a ball or just just adjust their swing enough to go opposite field would yeah you're right would laugh at that and drop it you know you're going to shift the guys over he's going to drop it into right field right down the line you know he's just going to laugh at it so um but i don't think the shift is necessary uh, necessarily something they need to throw out uh, outfielders maybe not not so much because it, it does not really impactful um, but when you're talking about shifting middle infield and stuff like that, you know, it's like, you know, God, you know, one good, one good shift equals one good drag bunt and the guy's on base and you got to squeeze play at the plate. You know, I mean, that's exciting though. You know, the, the chess game that you play with that and then how you, how you shift your defense, you know, it's, you know, it, it's interesting that that's what people like about, about baseball is that thought process and the, and the cat and mouse game you play. Um, I think what they hate about it is, you know, the, the ridiculous rules that they have with, like you said, the, the, the pitching changes constantly per batter. You know, I, I think, yeah, it is. It's strategy. Obviously, if you have a left-handed hitter, you know, you'll adjust to that or, you know, vice versa. You know, you don't want your pitcher to be put in a situation where he's, you know, playing to a batter's strengths. So you want the pitcher to be, you know, in control of that. Um, so I see the strategy behind that, but the delays that it takes, because now you got to pull this guy out of the bullpen and, you know, he's just hup, 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 hup to the mound. He's in no hurry to get there. And then you got to give him his eight pitches to get started or however many you give him these days. You know, it's those things kind of make it ridiculous, but yeah, yeah. I think the three batter minimum is, it's reasonable. I think if we're going to compromise there, we can do that, but I see the strategy. I see both sides. Yeah. All right. Well, tell me about your cubbies for this season. What do you think? Oh God. <laughs> I think you can get a <laughs> roster. I mean, I read something. I have to catch up for, of course, for tomorrow's sports report too, but um, they can't sign any of their players anymore. They've kind of gone to a, a fire sale at this point. The 2016 world champions are not even there anymore. Half of that team has been decimated. It's like I said, they've gone back to being the Cubs. Um, you know, I think they'll give a good run in the NL Central again. I mean, I'm not willing to say that they won't be a pennant team this year. Um, and as long as they're better than the Cardinals, I could care less. <laughs> as long as as long as they're ahead of St. Louis and Milwaukee, I really don't mind because you know that I can't listen to Brewers or Cardinals fans yell every year about how great they are and how great the Cubs aren't. Um, so as, as as long as the NL Central is something that they can contest, um, you know, by by the fall, I think they'll be okay. Are they going to have a slamtastic season? Is it going to be super dominant? No, I don't think so. But you know, it's important for the Cubs to you know protect Wrigley, you know, they've got to win at home, you know, you got to win in front of the hometown fans. And when I mean win in front of the hometown fans, that means winning an interleague play too. You've got to beat the Sox. You got to beat the Southsiders and, and control the destiny of Chicago. You know, yes, you don't want to have that stink on your shoulders the entire year. You know, you want to play your rivals and win, you know, it's not as intense in baseball as it is in other sports, but you know, it, it's pride. And, and the one thing about, you know, being a Chicago fan is that we've had to swallow our pride more than once over the last hundred and some odd 20 years. So, you know, it, you gotta, you gotta win at home more than anything else. And 
you know, and it's just, it's not going to be magical. You know, they're not going to dominate. The team that I'm really watching this year is Los Angeles. Uh, I think the Dodgers are going to be super dominant this year. Um, they're all the buzz right now in baseball. There's a possibility of, you know, definitely a playoff run again uh, for them. So, you know, I, I think the Dodgers are going to be a much more interesting team to watch across baseball this year. Um, you know, I'd like to see what Houston does. Um, you know, the Astros, you know, went from being really quiet to all of a sudden being really good. Um, you know, some people say they're cheating. <laughs> There's some definite talk about that through the years, but you know, I'm I'm interested to see what Houston does this year. Um, I'm interested to see if Atlanta will do what they did. Atlanta had the bats swinging like crazy last season. There were some offensive game. They embarrassed the Dodgers a couple of times. Yeah. You know, so I'm interested to see what the what the Braves do. Um, you know, so there's a couple of teams that I'll watch uh, in Ernst just to see um, if they play to strengths. But you know, I'm not going to be. I'm pretty much going to be watching Cubs fans very uh, Cubs games very casually this year with a, a beer in hand and maybe that goat hanging off in the corner. See if I roast him <laughs> one more year. <laughs> yeah. right, good, good stuff. Yeah, no, and, and you know, and my Braves, they you know, we're just one win away. They were right on the doorstep. They had the Dodgers down and couldn't close the deal. And you know, great teams can you know make things happen when, when their backs are against the wall. And, yeah. uh, and Atlanta, you know, they've got all their firepower. You know, they re-signed Azuna. You know, they beefed up the pitch starting pitching for this season. So that it could be very interesting. The Braves-Dodgers in the NLCS would not surprise me one bit uh, if me we either. got that if we got that once again. Um, of course, we are in the month of March. Have you been enjoying the madness? Oh, wow. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> oh, Where do I start, Jeff? Um, First off, where in the world did the ACC go this year? (laughs) The ACC went down to the toilet. I mean, they have been absolute poo-poo this season in tournament play, which is shocking. I mean, North Carolina, early exit. No Duke. Uh, Louisville scampers out. Syracuse is the la- was the last team in, um, and they were a double-digit seed at that, and then they get escorted out not long after Florida State did. So the ACC has been whew, in a down year. Um, the SEC has made quite a stink this year. Uh, Alabama making a run for it, unfortunately falling short. Uh, Arkansas in the Elite Eight. That's going to be interesting. It's uh, haven't seen anybody yell "Woo Pig Suey" really loud yet. So you know, maybe uh, the, I mean the SEC not typically dominant in basketball. You're talking ACC, Big East. Um, you know, those those are the usual perennial powerhouses. Kentucky out of the SEC, of course, has always been a big deal. But again, no Kentucky this year. No Duke. Um, a lot of the familiar faces have not been present. I'm really impressed with that Michigan team. Um, they absolutely beat these socks off of Florida State. Now, Leonard Hamilton, to his credit, you know, he's had some solid consistency um, all the way around at Florida State. He's really kind of built a tiny dynasty there, but it's kind of starting to go the way of Bobby Bowden, where it would last with this consistent success and, you know, postseason finishes, but he never could win the big prize. And I think Hamilton's time is running out in Tallahassee, not just because, you know, he's, he's getting up there and, you know, he's eventually going to hang it up, but eventually the patience is going to wear out. It seems to be that FSU will win, you know, uh, significantly in the conference, they'll go to the tournament, they'll either win it outright or finish really high, go to the big dance, they'll make a sweet 16 or they make an elite eight. And, and that seems to be settling for success. And, and how much hungrier does the FSU athletic department need to be where they finally look at Leonard Hamilton and say, listen, 
these guys that you're recruiting, it's great to have 10 guys that you can rotate in and out and get consistent and productive minutes out of them. But you can't not value the basketball. And I think Charles Barkley said this very poignantly about Florida State's basketball play is they do not value the basketball. Great streaking from the three-point arc. Polite is an absolute animal. When he gets lit on fire, the boy can shoot from halfway across town and it just falls in, you know, um, ACC freshman of the year on this team, you know, and it just all of these wonderful accolades and they just got smoked by a Michigan team who played to Florida State's weaknesses. They played aggressive defense in the paint. They were willing to take the charges because they knew Florida State was going to have to drive inside because the three-point shooting was getting cold. You know, this is a team that went 0 for 9 in their first game in the tournament and were working on 0 for 8 in the first half and finally hit two threes to get things going. Built up a five-point deficit and then turn around and lost it because they kept turning the ball over and they kept trying to make shots out of desperation instead of getting those high percentage baskets using Coprovica underneath, you know, the guy's seven, one, hello, just throw it to the big man, Shaquille <laughs> O'Neal one one you know, they, they were really not using what they had, which is that great length, that, you know, great aggressive full court press, you know, they just, they didn't have it. And Michigan did exactly what Georgia tech did to Florida state in the ACC tournament. And they played to that weakness, which was let's, shorten them up a little bit, force them to, you know, stumble around, lose that cohesion and, and force them to play on the fast break, you know, because Florida state's a really good full court press team, but they cannot play from behind the fast break. And that's why, you know, 15, 16, 18 turnovers a game, it's not going to help you. Um, so that's, um, that's my rant about Florida State. Um, but look at the double-digit seeds this season. Uh, Oral Roberts making a big run this year. How about that? Yeah. Um, Creighton making a Sweet 16 for the first time in a long time. So shout-out to Creighton. You know, that was a, a hell of a season. Loyola Chicago, um, again, making noise. You know, I don't know what's in the water in Chicago, but let me tell you, that was awesome to watch. It's sad they lost. Um, I'm also impressed with the Pac-12. Yeah, like this is. I don't know. I, I did not know that this was suddenly a basketball conference, but now you've got an 11 seed UCLA in the regional final. Uh, that's a first four team who expected UCLA to show up, you know, from the first four to have to play into the tournament. And now they're sitting on the outside of a final four, you know, that's, that's amazing. So kudos to the PAC 12 for putting together a heck of a basketball season and just making some noise in the tournament. I don't care what you say COVID or otherwise they're doing it right. And, um, you know, it's, it, and maybe it's time, you know, maybe the West coast needs to get some respect for some things other than USC Trojan football. You know, yeah, I, I think, yeah. I think it's great. So, um, but all in all, Crosstown rival USC is, is making a great run too. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> could, could you imagine now that now we're not going to call this right now. I, I don't see this happening because Gonzaga is playing way too well right now. Yeah. Um, my call, my call for the championship game is Gonzaga Baylor. Um, I, I don't have a bracket. I gave up. I didn't even start one. I said, this is going to be so screwed up after all this. I'm done, but I'm going to call Gonzaga Baylor. Um, and I'm looking for the Gonzaga win. I think Gonzaga is going to run the table on this one. They're just too strong. They're playing too well. Um, you know, all good things come to an end, but I think for these guys, they're, they're going to run it through, and it's, it's just going to be embarrassing in the end. Because without Duke to stand up to him, who plays excellent postseason basketball, you know, it's, there's nobody really to stand in their way at this point. Unless Cinderella's got her gold, her gold slippers on. I'm going to say gold because glass will break. Um, you know, unless she's dancing and UCLA takes it, but wouldn't it be funny 
US, UCLA, USC in a championship game. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, it's interesting. Uh, you know, the, all the talk was, you know, the, the Pac-12 was the worst. You know, everybody said the Big Ten was the best. Michigan, of course, is the best team at a conference, but everybody else is gone. <laughs> they, yeah. You know, they got, they got rather wiped out rather quickly. And, and, and yeah, and I do agree with you. I, I have Gonzaga and Baylor in the championship with Gonzaga winning as well. I have Houston in the Final Four. They're now up 17 at halftime on Oregon State. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, they, they could give Baylor trouble the way they rebound and play defense. Yeah. But, but Baylor's, a, Baylor's a tall order, though. Yeah, they are. They, they, and Baylor's men's and women's basketball teams have been just amazing to watch over the past couple of years. It's kind of been like watching UConn on the women's side be tremendously dominant. Um, you know, and, and now this year they're looking at, you know, like NC State was the overall number one seed in the women's tournament, then they got knocked out. So, you know, it's just th- this year's basketball tournament has just been an absolute comedy on both sides, the men's and women's team. I mean, you know, like Sue Simmer out, Florida State, consistent tournament performer. They're out in the first round. You know, another ACC team just wiped out, you know, an NC State, an overall number one seed, and then they get upset. You know, so it's been crazy. It's been the year of the underdog and the year of the little team that could. And it, it's exciting. You know, I'm, I'm, I really like this for what it is and I'm kind of enjoying, um, you know, the, the upsets and the, the excitement all about it. The overtime games. I mean, you know, it's, it's been pretty fun to watch. I'm just ashamed that Oral Roberts didn't go any further because I have jokes for days about that. <laughs> <laughs> so many jokes that well, I can't that, say on many shows. But <laughs> yeah, well, well I, t- I tell you what, that last shot by Ace was, man, I thought it was going in. I, yeah. I mean, it was that close. That had to be as painful for them as the uh, UCF missed shot at the end of the Duke game a couple of years yeah. ago. And that had, yeah. I am so I can relate to their pain where where that is concerned. But yeah, it was yeah. a great run by them. And uh, no, uh, but yeah, I, I live for the upsets every year too because I think that's what makes this tournament so spectacular. You know, at the end of the day, the really good teams are going to be there in the end, by and large. Yeah, I uh, you know, but uh, but at least that table is open for other teams, unlike the college football brethren who have had their little exclusive club. Uh, Get little- started. <laughs> <laughs> I listen, I, 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 but while we're on that thread though, yeah. um, it does bring up a valid point. Um, and this is something that I think college football is sadly missing. Um, now, obviously we all know about, it's about money. It's about TV revenue. It's about bowl con- configurations and the people that make money from that. It's an economic thing, but if the NCAA can host a tournament like this with automatic qualifying conference champions, I'm going to emphasize those two words for you football fans out there, and, and then get the at-large bids, you'll notice that many of the conference champions aren't there. You know, a lot of these AQs are out, and these are at-large bids that are coming through, or they're conference champions from lesser conferences, the mid-majors, they used to call them. Um, you know, so I wouldn't... I wouldn't put it past somebody in the college football playoff to eventually crack and say, we might as well do eight teams, you know, and leave it at that. I, any more than that is just, it's overkill. Um, I'm kind of in the crowd with Nick Saban that there is such a thing like, like the NFL, there is such a thing as extending the season too long. Um, you know, basketball, they're used to that because it's a shorter game. 
um, you know, less contact, less prone to injury. I mean, not injury free ever, but, you know, less injuries. And you're not going to have guys smacking into each other, getting concussions on a basketball court unless it's a sheer freak accident. So, you know, a little bit safer game, I guess. Um, but football is a little different, obviously, and playing it any longer than, than what they have is, is kind of ludicrous. But, you know, it's going to have to get to eight teams at some point because you're eventually going to have the, the Houstons, the Cincinnati's, the UCF's, the Boise States, you know, and they're all going to be really good teams and they're going to get thrown out of the tournament by a, you know, eight and three Oklahoma team that had no business being in the playoff ever and has no business being in the playoff ever again, because they always manage to stink it up, you know, and, and until the big 12 actually is the big 12 again, and they have a real <laughs> conference championship game with, you know, six teams and two divisions, you know, start acting like a big kid. And, and until the big 10, you know, eventually stops giving, you know, amendments to its playoff requirements to get into the, the conference title, you know, last year was a fluke, I know, but you know, I, eight, I think eight teams is it. We're due, we're due for quarterfinal games. Um, and you can do them at home sites. You know, I have always been, I've always been an advocate of leaving the bowl system as it is. Um, and uh, I, I was going somewhere with this, I promise. No, because, you know, the, the, the playoff could be set up the same way that the NCAA basketball tournament and the NIT exist. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the NIT is not necessarily the, the, the has-beens tournament. I mean, some, some games in the NIT can get pretty competitive now. Like, that, that could be an interesting tournament to watch. But the NIT is kind of like that, you know, I'm not competing for the big prize, but I'm still – competing for something like, you know, there's some postseason pride there. And I think that's what the bowl games really need to be about. They need to be a separate and not equal system, but they don't need to, and they don't need to be tied into a playoff anymore. Like we need to pull that away and let, let people go to these bowl games because they're traditional and they're fun and they're festive and they're a part of football Americana. You don't need to eliminate them altogether, but they need to be separated from the concept of a championship. You know, the bowl system has never been the most accurate or the most fair way to, you know, determine a champion. And neither has been the polls throughout the years. We proved it with the BCS the, the college football playoff is nothing more than the BCS 2.0. Um, you have to go way back to when they instituted the concept of the national championship game. And I sat, I sat at my television and watched Kirk Herbstreet on a college game day go, well, you know, really when they advocate for these games and they do this, you know, what they really need to do is a plus one, you know, play the four BCS games and then have one more game that determines the national champion. Well, guess what they did, guys? That's called the college football playoff. <laughs> Except there's no computers it's all done by committee and it's exactly what it is you put two teams in two bowl games and then plus one and that's your national championship i can't believe nobody's thought of that but i guess i'm the only sports (laughs) nerd that remembered so let's get the bowl system over here and leave it valid leave it intact the rose bowl can still be played we can have the 200th anniversary of the rose bowl long after you and i are dead you know but make the championship a championship, give it a playoff, make it eight games. You can still do neutral sites for a semifinal. I think, I think it would be great to do the dual hosting thing like they did with the BCS. You know, the championship game was always hosted in one of the other bowls. Um, but let, let's get quarterfinal games at home fields, you know, bring that home field advantage to one more game. Could you imagine Tuscaloosa on a quarterfinal game in a playoff? Yeah. That game would be rocket. Can you imagine Gainesville? you know, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium in a playoff environment. Could you imagine how exciting that'd be? And that would, there would not be a seat available in the house. 
you know, it would be massive. Yeah, it would be all Gator fans, but it would be tremendous to see that type of environment for college football's postseason. Will they ever do it? I don't know. It's, it's a great idea, and I'd love to advocate for it, and I'd love to be in the conversation, but, you know, I'm, I'm down here on the pole. So um, I'll do what I can from the internet. <laughs> yeah, well, I tell you what, though, you know, with eight teams, you know, you could still, you know, introduce that NCAA March Madness flair because you could still have a Cinderella but yeah. you know, but again, by and large, the really good teams will be there in the end. Yes, it's, you know, it's it, it really, always turns out that way. Yeah, yeah. Cinderella can dance, but can she dance through the entire ball? You know, yeah. and that's the challenge. You know, yeah. and Boise State would make a great. You know, well, back then, earlier Boise State teams now not so much, yeah. but like that. That's been a great, you know, a, a great advocate for uh, UCF. You know, UCF ran the table. You know, could they have withstood? You know, maybe, maybe not, you know, I mean, the postseason's new life. That's, that's a brand new season, you know, and, and uh, I think uh, Rob Keefe of the Albany Empire, formerly of the Orlando Predators, who actually coaches the East Orlando Preds down there. Um, Rob Keefe was always like, no, this is brand new season. We're O&O. This is game one. You know, so everything you just did, throw it out the window. The season starts today, and that that's a new life when when you're when you're a playoff team. It's a whole new pros, a whole new perspective. So yeah, it could change things, but yeah. um, the basketball tournament has been great the way it is. And you know, I I, I haven't got any of the uh, NIT this year, but I heard it's been pretty interesting. Well, and, Memphis, uh, so. Memphis uh, come, comes away with the championship, and uh, you know yeah. that kind of validates the season they had. They really yeah they really came on uh, in in February and became a. Uh, you know, they, they lost two very tough games to Houston. <laughs> you know, so without Houston, they're, they're probably might have possibly gotten into the big dance. So there you go. Yeah. Um, so tell me, when did you first encounter our good friend, the captain, Chris Hill? <laughs> it, it started completely um, with an email. And you know how the captain can get sometimes about, you know, don't text me, call me and stuff like that. Well, it, it, it was a funny story. <laughs> and I know this is going on his station, so he, he's going to laugh about it. Because um, we, we tell the story and it's great. Uh, around about 2013, 2014, uh, I was sitting at home and I was working as a, uh, an independent contractor for an agency in Jacksonville and I was doing some quality assurance work with them. And big Preds fan, I had season tickets. Um, and the biggest challenge that I had being a Preds fan in Jacksonville was that I, I never could find an away feed. Like I, I could like a, a, there was a way to get a home feed, um, but couldn't find an away feed. And, you know, I was just really having a hard time uh, getting a hold of games in general, especially games that I couldn't make it. Um, and I remember a game that I couldn't make it to Orlando. I guess it was scheduling conflict or something. Um, and I was struggling to find a radio broadcast. I said, this is Orlando, Florida. There's got to be a radio station in town who is doing some sort of radio broadcast for this team. And if it's not, then, you know, I mean, it's not as maybe things have fallen by the wayside recently. Cause I was at the old jungle in the arena. And I remember seeing, I remember that being like bike week, every ball game <laughs> guns and roses playing, you know, the women were gorgeous. And, and this well <laughs> um, my daughter wasn't born back then, but I do remember somebody showing off the goods one day and it almost made it on the jumbotron. And then that lady was politely asked to leave after that, but it made my night. Let me tell you, it was worth the drive from Jacksonville just to see that. Um, but it was a party, you know, and, and I had the best seats 
at the time. And uh, I watched Kenny McIntyre when Kenny McIntyre was the glove, um, you know, before he ran the team into the ground. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, you know, but yeah, I remember um, um, all of uh, Jimmy Frizel from UCF, you know, yeah. just, you know, and um, Barry Wagner, the Barry Iron Wagner, uh, yeah. Robert Kiroga, you know, I just, um, and I watched all of those guys back and Mark Lewis was, you know, we called him old faithful because the man was still kicking back then, you know, and it, it was just a great time. And I really, really enjoyed going to games and this, in that particular season, um, they were, um, I think they, they were challenged at this point because they had had to leave Amway and it was, it was just kind of rough to see, you know, what they had done. So, but, but I heard the broadcast at one point, you know, earlier in that season and I heard these three dudes on the radio and one of them sounded like, that he, he was definitely like the producer, but he kept making these insert comments while the other two guys were talking. And, and, and I found out that was Chris. And then the other two dudes sound like that they were sitting on a couch somewhere on the sidelines with a six pack of Coors Light watching this football game. And I said, I'm not sure about the integrity of this broadcast here. I'm, I'm a little concerned about what the Predators have hired here. Now, and I had just really gotten good and started in my broadcasting career. And I had always had aspirations of doing sports radio in particular. So I emailed Chris. I looked, I looked up this Aquarius 7 broadcasting network. Like, who the heck are these people? <laughs> <laughs> I looked him up and I sent an email to him and I more or less politely said, anything you can do, I can do better. <laughs> that's that's kind of the way Chris, kind of the way Chris and I introduced ourselves to each other. Cause he read that. He told me later, he read that. I was like, who is this guy? So he, he called me and we talked back and forth and, you know, and, and, and whatnot. So he invited me to come down to a game, um, and sit in on the broadcast. And it was going to be him and uh, Adam Markowitz and Uncle Paulie. And I, I had never met any of them. And uh, I, I, had, I had my season tickets to uh, UCF Arena. I left work, ran home, grabbed my tickets, drove in an absolute monsoon down I-4 to get to UCF campus and stroll in just before the first quarter kickoff. And, and Chris is like, you know, okay, go ahead. I had no time to pregame. I had no time to get any notes. And all I was doing was color. And I put the headphones on and Adam led the broadcast and Paulie did additional commentary. And he only wanted me to sit in the quarter. And after it was all done, he took the headphones off and he looked at the guys and he looked at RC who was behind him and said, you want to hang out for the rest of the game? I said, what the heck? So, and that's how that started. I, I ran a couple more games with him. Um, I actually did the playoff run that year for the Preds. We ended up getting on a plane, going to Cleveland to the queue to watch the uh, Preds play the Gladiators in the American Conference title game. And when they lost, there's a great story about Chris and I snoring each other to death. We call it the War of 1812 um, because we both have terrible sleep apnea. And... Um, and that's how I got started working with Chris. Um, and, and then we, we did eventually get the broadcast rights for the 2015 season. Um, and that's how I met uh, Slick Vic for the first time, Victor Anderson, um, and our broadcast partner at the time, Joe Anderson, hashtag team no relation. And, uh, and then we, we were the fab three uh, that did that. And, uh, and that's how we got to know Chris. And I've been working with Chris off and on on a couple of projects. I worked with him on uh, the WDIZ project for a little while, Rock 100 DIZ, when he had ownership of it. Um, I had been a regular contributor to Old School 101 various points throughout the year. I actually subbed in for Paulie uh, while he was out uh, sick. 
and uh, battling the medical issues that he did, God rest him. And uh, then when Polly had to finally step away and, and uh, Chris was like, you know, I'm going to let BP do it. Um, and so I've been, been doing it ever since. So I've, I've known Chris for going on about six years now. And um, it's, it's been hysterical uh, to work with uh, the online radio scene. Uh, of course, as, as you can see behind me, I've been doing it since 2009. Um, I've owned Rock, One, uh, Rock 100, listen to me, Rock 98.9 for uh, uh, seven years now. Um, I kind of run it in tandem. It's, it is my project and it's my, my business, but you know, as uh, we all broadcasters know, and podcasters, you know, we're all one big crazy messed up family. And we always find a way to collaborate and, and work together. And so and then I, and I've met Kyle in the same thread. I've been on Kyle's show, um, harassing him and Danny a couple of times. Uh, so you know, it's, it's just been been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, the Orlando folks, they're, they're very much my family down there. And, and, and it's always a, a pleasure to be on the mic with them, even if it's for just two to five minutes a day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's always a blast. Yeah. Well, well, let me tell you, tell, now I go long, long, long back with Chris, like back when he was actually getting into the radio business. And uh, uh, I was working at the WOKV, Orlando's Hot 16 at the time. And uh, Chris was hired. And uh, you know, he was coming in on a shift after mine. And, and he comes in, and he's just talking and talking and talking. And, and, uh, you know, and I've told this story on his show uh, 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 on Old School. And I said to myself, who is this loudmouth guy? <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course the, the 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 funny part about that is you know on, on old school i told the story i says he's still the same guy, exact guy oh yeah <laughs> not, to, not to mention that and but what's very interesting about that is that you know he's one of those guys very few people have this that could be that loud and opinionated but be very likable not yeah. just in a cult sense but in a this is a good dude sense, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. No. And that's, I think that's one of the most endearing qualities about him and why we've worked well together throughout the years is because I am no slouch either uh, with the mouth. You know, I, I battle this daily and it's like, wow, you have such a voice for radio. And I'm like, if you only knew, <laughs> you know, it's, if you only knew, um, and it's funny, my business partner, Superfan Shannon, who's also started doing a lot of this, she's like, you know, people are starting to tell me that I have a voice for radio. And I'm like, yeah, welcome to my world for the last 15 years. <laughs> um, but no, Chris, Chris is that likable character that, you know, sometimes he gets on your absolute last nerve. And, and then, but after that, though, he turns around and does something unbelievably creative and unbelievably intelligent. And you're like, this son of a gun you know, 10 minutes ago, I wanted to punch his lights out. Now I want to go have drinks and dinner with him because this is the most ingenious thing I've ever seen, you know, and, and his ability to improv and create things seemingly out of thin air, you know, is one of the things that I, I've taken a page or two out of his book throughout the years. I've never openly admitted this on his show because I know his ego would get huge after this. <laughs> And, and he'll, you know, he'll ring that damn bell again and I'll be like, you know, but, um, you know, but I've actually taken a few pages out of his book and he of mine. I mean, we, we've bounced off each other and, you know, and I always know that I'm, I'm in for a technical discussion when I get that call at 730 on a Sunday. BP, do you have a minute? And I'm like, yeah, let me get my camera ready because you know, it's, it's always something with the video. Um, but no, I mean, his just his ability to improv and sort of create things and navigate this strange world. 
um, that we're in because, you know, I'm a young buck in comparison to you guys. I mean, I'm by comparison to the combined experience of, you know, what else has been in in that studio. Mick Dolan is a good example too. That guy's got more experience than everybody else in the room. Um, But I'm a young buck and I'm self-taught. I didn't go to broadcasting school. I didn't have a formal position with a, with a Cox or a clear channel or now iHeart. you know, I didn't work for any of those people. I've learned all of this on my own. And, but I've also watched what other people have done who have been in the profession and had that experience. And I've taken a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B and wrote my own column C. And that's kind of how I got to where I am. Now, I'm not making big money doing this. I'm not some superstar yet, but I love this. And I understand why everybody else loves it, you know, and why they continue to do it. Cause it's a pain in the butt. You know, it really is. It's a pain, but it's a pain that you just absolutely love. And Chris completely shares that and he lives it every day on his show. And, you know, it's just, it's so much fun to see it grow and change, you know, yeah. and then, and having other programs come behind it and, and stuff like that. He, he really has done something great with it over the past couple of years. Yeah, well, you know, I'm glad to have gotten reconnected with him over the last couple of years. And, uh, of course, you know, it's great that uh, I've got to be a part of the uh, A7BN Sports Network and, you know, get connected with uh, guys like you and Kyle and, and Victor. It's been been a blast. And I do appreciate you being on the show today. And uh, please, uh, you know, take that, uh, take that moment to uh, tell everybody uh, where they can follow you, all the avenues. Oh my gosh. Well, um, if you're listening to a hard rock, heavy metal, and you like the Florida independent stuff, do I have a website for you? Rock989.com. We also have an app for that. You can find it on the Google Play Store and download it there for your Android device. Apple will come around sooner or later. Damn that technology. Uh, you can also <laughs> find us on Facebook around Rock989. There is a point between the eight and the nine that makes it that radio frequency. You can also find me on Twitter, Rock underscore 989, and Instagram, Rock underscore 989. If you want to correct, uh, correct and connect me, I don't know, coddle me, do something, caress me, love me. Uh, <laughs> Tell me, pat my head and tell me I'm pretty. Um, No, if you want to connect with me directly though on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash BP on air. That is my broadcast personality uh, page. That's where I connect with everybody about radio, sports, cooking, martial arts. I talk about everything. And uh, I'm also found by the same handle on Twitch. If I ever open up the channel again, um, I am there from uh, time to time as well. And it'd be great to connect with you. And uh, you need to listen to this guy too. He's got a great voice and he knows his his stuff, dude. If you really want to get some good information, uh, listen to my friend, Jeff. Alan here and uh, someday you me and uh, Victor and Kyle will uh, all get together on another show and we'll, we'll have a blast it's going to be a lot of fun I really really appreciate you having me tonight hey likewise and uh, again thank you for being here and again BP from Rock 98.9 A7BN Sports Captain and Company in the morning on OldSchool101.com he is now challenging for the hardest working man in show business. <laughs> <laughs> working on it. Working on it. <laughs> Don't count me out yet. All right, DP. Thanks again, buddy. And we will be right back with the TV theme to close things out right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon, weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com, because class is always in session around here, virus or no virus. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport, the thrill of victory. 
and the agony of defeat. The human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's Wide World of Sports. Brought to you by Ford and your local Ford dealer who invites you to see the 1983 Ford cars and trucks. Have you driven a Ford lately? By Midas, with over 1,200 Midas muffler and brake shops. Trust the Midas touch for any muffler or brake work you need on your American or imported car. And by Honda Portable Generators for camping, hunting, boating, even charging your car battery. Yes, one of the most iconic sports programs of all time, ABC's Wide World of Sports, which was a sports anthology. Yes, say that, don't try to say that too fast. Sports anthology television program. Uh, it was on ABC from 1961 to 1998, primarily on Saturday afternoons, hosted by the legendary Jim McKay. And uh, he would have co hosts later on. Uh, but. Uh, Certainly a program that showcased a lot of different sports. You know, cliff diving from Acapulco <laughs> was kind of fun to watch. Even though you're like, what in the heck is this guy doing jumping off a cliff? He's out of his mind. Ah, uh, And if, you know, the Wild World of Sports banner was still used for general sports programs on the network until 2006. In 2007, Wide World of Sports was named by Time Magazine as on the list of 100 best television programs of all times. And think about this. You don't think of a sports anthology show having spinoffs, but there were. Wide World of Sports covered a bowling event that was so successful in 1961 that in 1962, ABC began the Professional Bowlers Tour. In 1964, they covered the Oklahoma Rattlesnake Hunt Championships. And the following year, they premiered the outdoor program, The American Sportsman, hosted by Kirk Gowdy, that ran for nearly 20 years. And in 1973, The Superstars was televised as a segment on Wild World of Sports. And the following year, it debuted as a weekly winter series that lasted for 10 years. And that would be where various athletes for all sports competed in different types of sporting events. So you got to see people, you know, from auto racing, you know, playing basketball and people from football, swimming, all sorts of neat things. And that eventually would also lead birth to the Battle of the Network stars in some fashion. Wild World Sports also the first program to air coverage of these events. Wimbledon in 1961, the Indy 500 in uh, 1961 with a longer-form version in 65. The NCAA Men's Basketball Championship in 1962. Think about how far that event has come. The Daytona 500 in 62. The U.S. Figure Skating Championships in 62. The first color broadcast of the Monaco Grand Prix in 67. The Little League World Series in 61. The British Open Golf Tournament in 61. The X Games in 94. And the Grey Cup in 1962. Think about that. And obviously, besides that dramatic theme music, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. The catchphrase, still very well known to this day. 
and really the agony defeat symbol, Ski Jumper Vinko Bukhadaj. I think I'm spelling, uh, pronouncing that correctly. Had that dreadful misjump and crash during a competition in 1970. So from early 70s onward, his ski crash became the iconic picture of the hard luck hero. The agony of defeat. All right, that's going to do it for this week's program. Thanks once again to BP, Brian Paul, my colleague from A7BN Sports, and he's also part of the Captain and Company Morning Show on OldSchool101.com, which you can also hear my podcast over there, by the way, besides not only on your many favorites podcasting platforms where you get your podcasts, but... Uh, I get a half-hour airing of the show. We edit some of these down to, to fit the time slot. OldSchool101.com, Sundays at 1.30 p.m. If you happen to be listening. And uh, we mix that in with the Old School Jams. And with that, we are done here.